you're in a friendship and your friend hurts you, how likely are you to say, hey, this hurt me? I'm sad because this happened. Now, I did say something very particular there. I'm sad because this happened. I did not say, you made me sad. So we're going to talk a little bit, and I'm going to roll this into what you guys mentioned about codependency. I'm going to move some chairs. Because codependency can often be a problem in our relationships and with being vulnerable. Does anybody know what codependency is? We are dependent on each other, right? Kind of. That's more interdependence. One person is more dependent on the other. Yeah. One person is more dependent on the other? What was over here? You, you need that person to function. You need that person to function? Your emotions are in an unhealthy way intertwined with their emotions, but you can't function properly in your relationships. Yes, so your, your emotions are dependent upon someone else's emotions. This is often what we see in friendships and in romantic relationships, but we've learned it from our family of origin. Right? Everybody in this room is codependent. There is always a healthy level of codependency. As a therapist, as a priest, Father Joe and I are probably more codependent than other people because we have to really kind of notice what other people might be thinking and feeling in order to do our jobs well. Right? If you think about any toddler you've ever seen, niece, nephew, friend, whatever, you know, the toddler's running, they trip and they fall, and sometimes they look back at their parent or their caregiver <laughs> to see if they should be crying or not. <laughs> they don't know. Is this a bad fall or is this an okay fall? That's codependency in action, right? What happens is it gets out of balance for us, right? So our, all of our weaknesses in life used to be strengths that just got out of balance somehow, okay? Codependency is simply looking at someone else and saying that, mm, she doesn't have a smile on her face right now, so she doesn't like this talk, right? Now, if I were to change my emotions and start cracking jokes and doing other things to get her to smile, which she just did, because I called her out. <laughs> that would be a codependent interaction, right? I need her to smile, sorry, what's your name? Mariana. Mariana. I need Mariana to smile so that I feel better about what I'm doing, right? That would be codependent. But if I look at her and say, oh, she's just not smiling, but maybe she's not here, it's two o'clock, Alabama starts in an hour and 45 minutes, <laughs> she's thinking about that, I can go on my day, right? It's not that I am requiring her to be in a certain position, for me then to be happy. And that's the one-sidedness that we often experience. It's this idea that, oh, this person's not happy, so let me do things to make them happy. Let me change my behavior in order to get what I need from them. Instead of being vulnerable and honest with ourselves and saying, this relationship isn't cutting it for me. And what do I need more of? I need more smiles. I need more conversation. I need more time going on walks. Like, what do we need more of? And then how do we ask that person in our lives to give us more of it? Nobody can make us feel anything that we already don't feel about ourselves, mm -hmm. right? So if you say, this is a horrible talk, if I don't think it's a horrible talk, eh, I can say to myself, okay, I can prepare better, I can have a PowerPoint next time, Robert's all around <laughs> there are things I can do, right? I can plan my jokes better. Or I can say, wow, she's right. This is a horrible talk. Every time I give a talk, I'm always told it's horrible. No one ever invites me back. Why do I do this? 
But if that only happens if I really truly believe that about myself. So no one can make you feel anything that you don't already feel, right? And that's where like honesty comes into it. Being honest with ourselves first is how we become vulnerable with other people. Um, Another thing I want to bring up before I get to the rest of this list is expectations. In our friendships, and when we're maintaining friendships and building them, expectations are premeditated resentments. So my favorite story of expectations being premeditated resentments is that um, my trash comes on Monday. Monday morning, trash comes usually around 7.45. On Sunday nights, I would often get angry looks that, hey, what are you doing? I'm watching Monday Night Football or Sunday Night Football. What? Like, my wife was always angry with me on Sunday nights. I could never figure out why. <laughs> Here's the thing. Sometimes I would take the trash out after dinner. Sometimes I would take the trash out before bed. Sometimes I'd wake up early and take the trash out. Most often, I would forget to take the trash out. And I'd be running in the morning to get to the sidewalk so the trash could get it right. Finally, figured this out. And I was like, wait a minute, you're always angry with me on Sunday nights, why is this? She's like, because I want you to take the trash out after dinner. And I was like, oh, that's it? She's like, yeah, that's it. Well, why didn't you just tell me that? Well, I just thought you knew. <laughs> she had an expectation, but she never told me that expectation. And so because I didn't know the expectation existed, it gave her a reason to become resentful, to become angry with me. So every Sunday night was a bad Sunday night because I didn't know how to take out the trash. But once I learned it, I was like, yeah, I can do that. That's no problem. That should be easier on me so I'm not like waking up at 7 15 and running out to the sidewalk in my pajamas. <laughs> pushing trash bags. And most often I was missing the trash. Just um, so this is how it's important for us to A, know ourselves so that we can tell people what we need, right? If you have an expectation in a friendship, but you don't tell the friend what that expectation is, you're gonna get angry at them. You're gonna be like, they're not a good friend. But really, they may not know exactly what you need in order to become the friend that you really want, right? All right, um, conflict is a very broad subject, so what about conflict specifically? How to sustain a relationship through how to accept it, use the good out of that, Okay. Um, there's a great book that I don't have on my resource list, but it's called The Courage to Be Disliked. Um, I recommend this book to all of my clients that come in. It's a really, really great book. It's at in psychology, but the basic idea is, what is your task and what is someone else's task, right? Conflict is often emotionally driven and emotions always kind of blow things up. So if I go back to the idea of being honest with who you are, it's also understanding your emotions. Anger gets like bad billing. But here's the thing, all of our emotions were given to us by God, so no emotion in and of itself is bad. It's the behavior attached to the emotion that we can start to weigh like guilt and shame and things like that. Don't know the difference between guilt and shame? Guilt is the thing we did is bad, shame is who we are is bad. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I thought I knew. I didn't, I didn't make that up. <laughs> Say that again, please. 
Guilt is the thing we did was bad. The behavior was bad. Shame is who we are is bad. Um, so anger is a secondary emotion. Now, other therapists would argue with me on this, um, that it's a primary emotion. I think there are times when anger is a primary emotion. Think about Jesus flipping the tables in the temple. He was angry. It was a primary emotion, and it was justified. Like, he didn't go back later on and say, sorry, let me help you clean this up. <laughs> he kept on going because he was angry, right? But oftentimes, anger is masking something else. So in conflict, what we have to figure out is, what are we angry about, right? And what's underneath the anger? Oftentimes, fear is underneath the anger, right? Because at the basis of life, like our, uh, our reptilian brain, so to speak, very primary emotions. I work in children's hospitals with children, and I use the uh, allegory of flipping your lid. All right, so if this is your brain, this is your core. This is like your reptilian brain, core emotions. This is executive functioning. When our executive functioning is in place, when we're calm, we're level-headed, we can operate, we can work with people in a problem. But when our emotions take control of us, we flip our lid, and it becomes primal instinct. What are we afraid of? What are we trying to escape? Fight, flight, or freeze. So in conflict, the key is to be aware of our emotions and ask for the time. So what this looks like for me is um, there's a rule in friendships and relationships when you're with me as a therapist, because I do see friends as well. I see roommates, I see business partners, I see couples. It just all depends on who's going in for what. But the rule is, if you are in an argument, both of you have the right, or well, 22 of you have the right, to say, I need a break right now, right? I need two hours. Now, the other side of that rule is that you have to come back in two hours and finish the argument, right? I can't tell you how many people are like, oh yeah, we'll come back in two hours. <laughs> They're not coming back. <laughs> the arguments just build up and the resentment builds up. But if you can keep emotion out of conflict, that can really help level out the playing field a little bit, right? Why am I emotional? And this really bleeds into the ideas of boundaries as well, right? So we have physical boundaries, emotional boundaries, intellectual boundaries, spiritual boundaries, financial boundaries. Those are usually the big five. Um, with intellectual boundaries, it's simply the idea of being a scout versus a soldier, right? A soldier's gonna defend their position. They're gonna fight back to defend what they're holding on to. But a scout is going to be behind enemy lines. They're going to be asking questions and then taking that information and giving it back, right? If you spend more time in the scout position, it's not saying you have to believe what the other person is telling you. You don't have to agree with it. And you don't have to change your mind about it either. You're just going to ask questions. But it's more of a logical thought process than it is an emotional one. Right? I had a friend that um, was a professor of old religions. And he used to say that we divinize our feelings in our relationships. What that means for him, what that meant, is that if I'm a church-going person and I believe in God and I'm generally a good person, then the things that I think, well, God has to think them too. Because I'm a good person, right? But when we each do that, we become so solidified in our positions that it becomes an emotional thing, right? We're relying on our emotions to help do a defense. Because we're good people, I'm a good person, what I think has to be right. God has to agree with me. Now, I don't think this happens in every case, but I thought it was a really good example of how we let like, our thoughts and feelings get intermixed. 
which leads me to the next thing to write down, which is um, if you are in an argument and you can replace the word thought with the word feel, it's a, sorry, if you can replace the word think with the word feel, it's a thought and not a feeling. So I feel like you're always angry at me. Mm, what does that feel like? I think you're always angry with me. That's a different way to have a conversation. Right? So often we mix our thoughts and our feelings. And when I'm working with teenagers, like this is the biggest thing I see on TikTok and Instagram, <laughs> is that like stuff is thrown out there in shorts, but the language really does matter. So if you can replace the word feel with the word think, you're actually thinking it and you're not feeling it. And that can give you a little bit of separation in the conflict as well. If you say, I feel something, yeah. and you can replace feel with the word think, you're thinking it and you're not feeling it. It's just a simple separation of our thoughts and our emotions. Um, life changes. So life changes are difficult. Um, every emotion we feel is momentary. People will come in and say, hey, I just want to be happy all the time. I'm not the therapist for you, <laughs> right? Because we're never happy all the time, right? Now, our go-to for this right now, uh, thanks to Big Star, is Inside Out. Because it does a great job of saying, hey, emotions are all over the place, and we experience all of them. But we do experience emotions all throughout the day in different areas, right? So it is 1.54, 25 minutes ago, I was like, man, I hope I'm prepared enough for this. Also, I've got to get to Canton right after this, like, did I schedule enough for my day? So I was a little frustrated, a little nervous. Now, I'm okay, right? I've got six minutes left. I'm feeling pretty good. Traffic is pretty light today, so it's not going to be a problem, right? So now I'm feeling happy. Right? We experience these different emotions throughout the day. If you ever just take the time to like track your mood throughout the day, it's really interesting to see from like the time you wake up to the time you go to bed how many moods you've gone through an entire day, right? And the important thing about this is just remember that our friends go through this too, right? So. Just like emotions, friendships and relationships are going to change through life. Right? And the important thing is just to take that into consideration when you're looking at friendships. If someone's moving, they're not leaving you, hopefully. <laughs> they're leaving for a good job, or they're leaving for better housing. Right? Taking the personal out of it and just looking at the situation is a really good way for you to view other people's life changes. Now. You have zero control over how people view your life changes. They may not like the person you're dating. They may not like that you're gonna get married. <coughs> they may not like that you're buying a house in the suburbs, whatever it is, right? You have zero control over what other people think and feel. The changes are gonna happen, and how do we adapt, right? So this is where boundaries come into play. Boundaries are not walls, they're not you know these big stone castles that keep people out and keep us in, they're really malleable fences, right? So we have um, different physical boundaries in our life that hopefully we stick to, right? The important thing that we're gonna talk about boundaries is you have to stick to boundaries in order for them to actually be effective. A lot of people think when we put boundaries in place that it's really bad of us to do it, right? Uh, that when you put a boundary in place that says, hey, I'm not gonna go out with you because you drink too much, I'm the one being mean, not that the other person is drinking too much and acting a fool. Because I put the boundary in place. Boundaries protect us and protect other people too. Right? 
but they're always malleable. So when you first start dating someone, maybe there's no physical affection at all, right? We're not holding hands, we're not hugging, there's nothing. But as time goes on and you get to know them, that physical boundary starts to move a little bit, right? It's important to know where your boundaries are, and I have the boundaries listed out on the sand out, because where our boundaries are are where we are, and the more we're aware of them as we go through relationships, we can adjust them to where they need to be, right? As an example, uh, my closest friend, gosh, we met in church at OCIA like 15 years ago. Um, once a week, for 15 years, we go out to Taco Mac and have beer and wings, right? In that time, we both got married, we both had children, we moved, we've changed jobs. You know what we did? We just switched the days of the week. <laughs> but we kept the boundary in place. This is our friendship, this is what we're gonna do together. And we're gonna make the adjustments as they come. There are times where, in this friendship, we've had disagreements. Um, political disagreements, financial disagreements, like just disagreements. But we can adjust the boundaries around it, right? Like, he's my best friend, and I'm not going to let a disagreement on EMBs. <laughs> this is our most recent disagreement. Is that if there was a nuclear bomb, would an EMP go up or out? <laughs> I said out. He said up. He did work on a nuclear sub, so I'm going to give him that one. <laughs> um, but we didn't let it get emotional, and we adjusted our boundaries around it, right? Because that the, the friendship is the important thing. Also, we were both in Germany, and neither one of us spoke German, so there was a boundary there of language around us that we had to like stick together um, instead of going our but as we move through relationships, we have to adjust our boundaries. That's the most important thing to remember. So one, you really need to identify what your boundaries are. And two, you need to be able to understand those boundaries so that you can move with them through different relationships. Right? It's okay to be vulnerable with, um, I was gonna say it's okay to be vulnerable with family, but then I'm gonna contradict myself, so. You may not wanna be vulnerable with family, right? Maybe when you were little, you, you shared something really deep and, and secret with your mom or your dad, you know, something that's like really heavy to a seventh grader, um, and they chastise you for it. You know, you had this moment of being vulnerable with them and being emotionally available to them, and they shut you down. But later on in life, you find a friend who you can also be very close with, and you can learn to like, share a little bit with them, and they don't chastise you. So you share a little bit more, and they don't chastise you. And so you learn that you can keep on sharing with them and this person becomes a safe and trusted person, right? But maybe the next friend isn't. So this is why boundaries are so important because we have to know where we are in order to be able to open up just a little bit to keep the relationships moving. Relationships are always in flux. They're never static, right? A lot of times people get married and they're like, yeah, married, cool. Marriage is the answer to all my problems. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you now, it's not. <laughs> but a lot of people do think so. They're like, this person is stuck with me now. It's really not the case. So you always have to be able to just to like, as you get into a relationship, decide, can I share a little bit more? And then can I share a little bit more? And then maybe this is enough for this relationship. And let me go find someone else I can share a little more with. And as we get more comfortable, 
with sharing with our, being honest with ourselves and sharing with other people, we can expand that hierarchy of vulnerability out, right? A lot of times when I give talks, I talk about that I am, um, that I am 15 years sober, right? 15 years ago or 16 years ago, we would not talk about my addiction. But I've been honest with myself, I've been honest with people close to me, I've been honest with larger groups, and now I can talk about my addiction and be vulnerable with everybody because I've given myself the opportunity to say, hey, this is where I was wrong. And then I've shared it with someone close to me who was like, oh, that's really terrible. But also, look at the family you grew up in. And like, you're doing such good work now. And then it just keeps on expanding, right? The more we're honest, the more vulnerable we can be. So, I know it's 2 o'clock. Do we have any questions? You mentioned five boundaries. Mm -hmm. I think one of them was intellectual, the other was financial. What were mm -hmm. the other three? Uh, physical, emotional, spiritual. Yep. <laughs> so physical boundaries are simply like what we feel physically. Intellectual is that, you know, our thoughts are our own and they're not influenced by other people unless we want them to be. We're not forced to change our minds. Spiritual is our beliefs, right? That like we believe what we believe and we can be influenced but we don't have to change it because someone we're in relationship with says we have to change it. Financial is more just about being in a, uh, a relationship that requires finances, joint checking accounts, separate accounts, things like that. What about things from your spiritual life or like emotional wounds from your past? with someone you're really close with, like a significant other or like a partner, how do you know how vulnerable to be while still guarding your heart? That's a great question. So when we talk about wounds, um, it's important to know how well the wound is healed. So sometimes we, uh, you know, sometimes you can fall over, you, you scrape up your arm pretty bad, you put a bandage on it, and it gets infected, right? Um, even though you've bandaged it up, right? So it heals, but the infection is underneath. So sometimes you have to cut that wound back open, clean it out, and let it reheal. So when we go, we talk about wounds, not all wounds have been healed correctly. So a big part of sharing with other people is really taking it like piece by piece. Um, as a therapist, they tell you, you, like you learn this in therapy, and when you're in school, like don't share personal stuff, right? Because are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for someone else? Now, the trick to get around this, um, if you're ever thinking about going into therapy, is you can say, I have a friend that, right? <laughs> but here's the thing, I don't say I have a friend and they share something relevant because it's gonna help me. It's always for the other person. So, when you're thinking about like sharing a big wound or something like that with someone else, are you doing it because you still need help in the healing? Or is it because you're sharing part of yourself that they need to know so they know you authentically? Does that make sense? Because if you're sharing it with them because you want advice back and like you still need healing in that area, that might not be the best reason to share with someone. But if you're sharing because you want them to know who you are authentically, and that's a good reason to share, and, and just give them little pieces at a time to build it up. So you take the wounds primarily to God, or like, you know, someone trusted. Mm -hmm. 
and then if it's something that they can help you to help the relationship for them, that's what you can share. Yeah. You're going to make mistakes, like we all are. Um, I can sit up here and talk about all these things, and I can tell you that I make mistakes in every single one of them on a daily basis most of the time. Like, it's not easy, but it's just being conscious. And I think the big thing is, like, being vulnerable with yourself is the key to any relationship. So uh, I'm going to give you guys a homework assignment for the next week. I just want you to stand in front of a mirror in the morning for one minute and just stare at yourself. <laughs> Set a timer too because everybody thinks this is a really easy homework assignment. It's really not. One minute's a very long time when you're staring at yourself in the mirror and feeling like an idiot. <laughs> but you start to notice things, right? You start to notice like the imperfections you have and where you think you're you're lacking. That usually happens the first day or two. By about day three or day four, when you find out it's like, oh yeah, that's there, but so is this. Here's the good thing, right? By day five or six, you're like, oh, I'm a whole person. It's a really fun exercise. Then you can bump it up to two minutes if you really want. <laughs> five minutes is the limit. Don't ever go longer than five minutes. <laughs> the other thing I'll tell you, um, after you've stared at yourself in the mirror and you, you have your catalog of thoughts, high five yourself in the mirror. It is literally impossible, scientifically proven impossible, to have a bad thought about yourself when you're high-fiving yourself in the mirror. <laughs> so if you ever come to our offices in Swanee, there's one mirror on my hallway where me and another therapist, Olivia, we high-five ourselves in the mirror all the time, and our hand smudges are there because we never clean them. <laughs> <laughs> so. Any other questions? Dude, if you guys ever need any of our services, calling for therapy is probably the hardest thing you have to do, but once you do that, it's, uh, it's a great thing. So. Thanks for having me. Yeah,